Chapter 3. The Colors of Corruption Commander Kilhaven, this is Arbiter Fogel Sharp. I'm following up on the incident in Sector 100B. Any idea on when I can speak with your brother Parrick? He's been placed in suspended animation. The Medici has agreed to keep him alive for one year in hopes that he will heal. Thank you for pulling him out of there when you did. Your father hasn't been returning my messages. Anything that I should know? Please don't take it personally. My father's rivalry with Lord Raynor has reached new heights of despair. As you've probably figured out, our systems routinely monitor official comms, even those of the PDF, listening for anything out of the ordinary. The emergency beacon of Parrot Kilhaven certainly made the cut in that regard. Paris's true identity was kept secret for the rabbit run. It should have been routine. Will your brother pull through? On the one hand, the Medic K think it's a miracle that he's alive. On the other, they don't seem to have a feathing clue what exactly happened to him other than he'd been electrocuted. He had severe burns on both of his shoulders, indicating massive trauma for his heart. It's a harsh lesson to learn about the Underhive. Anything you can tell me before I shelve this case? Dogs. In a brief moment of clarity, Peric mentioned being chased by dogs. Anything else, Commander? He also mentioned being eaten alive by giant rats. None of it made any sense to anyone. I've checked in with engineering. There weren't any power fluctuations detected in the grid for sectors 99B or 100B that day. An electrocution event should have tripped something or at least been logged. Arbiter Sharp, call me back in a year. I'm as eager as you to get to the bottom of this. Fresh deposits littered the top of the discard pile. The pit glowed with a vibrant mixture of colors among the mounds of graying flesh. Kiska was in there somewhere, hiding. I could feel it staring back. I had debts to pay and a short timeline to do it. I spiraled downward, avoiding the snares of my newfound sight. The colors of corruption covered the spectrum from blues to yellows to reds and everything in between. At the very bottom, a pair of silver eyes blinked, grotesque among the half-eaten and lifeless forms. Not the face of the Emperor, but close. Kiskamen, enough. I'm bleeding out. Your time here will end with mine. The creature responded with images of collecting energy from the surrounding hive. Psychic pain and corruption, electromagnetic fields, even the residual vibrations of physical momentum flowed through its body. It was the complete opposite of my existence. I wasn't a creature of the warp. I couldn't live off of random, chaotic energy. Feth. Without any warning, I was yanked skyward, back to my wardroom and the steady beeping of a whole chorus of machines. My body was encased in a slurry of liquid with tubes running everywhere. Kisco pressed me against the far side of the room, holding me in place as it did its work. It slashed through the gear and the power sources with its psychic claws. Machines went haywire, and I felt the effects on my physical body in the vat. It exploded with pain. Not helping. Kiskamen stopped messing with the equipment and scooped up a torrent of energy. The beast raced across the room and slammed into me, cracking my mental fugue. The glow of silver energy dripped off my psychic form and pooled on the floor at my feet. Kisco retreated and waited. The machines resumed their constant drone as if nothing had happened. I tried to scoop up the energy with my ethereal hands, but it flowed right through them. Kisco vomited out its own energy, creating a pool at its feet, and mimicked my ineptitude over and over. Okay, I didn't know what I was doing. I held up my hands and bowed my head in surrender. Kisco did the same, holding perfectly still, and the energy around his feet reacted. Flowing upward, it disappeared within him. He pointed at the body in the vat across the room. 
It absorbed what it needed without any effort. The Medicaid sensors chirped in harmony, unaffected by the warp creature's presence. Feth. I stopped fighting and let myself be still. For the first time in months, I didn't shake with terror or vie with insanity. I didn't flail about without measure. I simply stopped and existed for the briefest moment, making a note of the energy within and around me. Slowly, the psychic pressure changed and the silver glow flowed up into me. Immediately, I felt more solid and the energy flowed more surely as I invited it in. Kisco reacted with a screech and drove its ethereal claws through my chest, pinning me to the wall and leaving me paralyzed with pain. It did it again and again until I quelled my screams and watched what it was doing. Its claws were merely a psychic illusion, made potent by the alien energy that passed through me. Its essence was tainted in an unreal mix that burned and chilled me all at the same time. Kisco retrieved the painful energy and waited, daring me to respond in kind. Bent with fear, my mind still reeled from the torturous moment. The idea of injecting pure agony directly into another being was beyond the bounds of my soul. I shook my head. Kisco flinched as Zaxayas appeared in the wardroom. As always, the hunter struck first, slamming a psychic blast into its rival from across the room. Kisco shrieked in pain, but kept its claws at its side, and like its earlier demonstration, seemingly without effort, ejected the discordant energy, throwing it into me. Feth. The hunter packed a potent punch, and the regifting by Kisco certainly hadn't dulled its unwanted essence. Both creatures stopped their daily brawl and waited. My body twitched in the vat behind them, which I took as a bad sign. It may have freaked me out. I suffered, handcuffed with terror as my physical body reacted to the agony of the psychic attack. I held on to the pain until my physical body steadied itself, and the machines finally agreed that it was okay. The connection between my physical and astral bodies was a compelling motive. I looked within myself, identifying the tumor of pain, the not-me energy, and I showed it the door. I didn't push it or pull it or run. I simply pointed to a spot outside my ethereal body and invited it to move. In an instant, the unreal pain was gone. For the first time in months, I'd found a modicum of control within the nightmare. Kisco and Zax both bowed in a clearly sarcastic gesture, and then it hit me. I was their pupil, as much as their play toy. The twisted contracts my physical body had signed were meant to be a gift as much as a curse. Images of torment flowed through my mind, memories buried away with the fear. Teaching moments. I replayed each without judgment, absorbing their meaning. Zach says it is time to hunt. The hunter pointed downward, waiting for me to take the lead. I shot down through the floor, a psychic blur through a stack of two hundred determined sectors. I landed in a mostly empty plaza in the basement of Sector 99B. In the distance, the makeshift brothel was gone, and the ramp was open. Kiosks still plied their illicit trade. Artificial sunlight still drizzled down from dingy pipes overhead, and the few buyers loitering about ignored my presence completely. Zax was only a step behind as I scouted a familiar narrow alleyway. I moved slowly, knowing the canines that awaited my arrival. Reaching the offending corner, I halted. High up on the wall, a camera sensor kept a persistent watch, waiting for its next victim. Looking back the way I'd come, I noted a false panel in the alley's wall, shielding a room with six oversized hounds. I could sense their simple life energy, a hazy brown hunger in my mind. 
I reached into the room and brushed my hand through each cage, coaxing energy from the beasts. In seconds, they were sleeping. Returning to the corner, I pointed at the camera, knowing that it was the best place for the energy I'd collected. As the device shut down, Zaxayas tugged me along to the next corner, continuing our hunt. It didn't take long for a mark to show up. Zax steered us through a wall seconds before a man walked up the alley in front of us. The man wore fine clothes, a short synthetic leather coat, and a bright yellow-tinted aura. His better attire sourced him to the underhive below. A tech of some sort, he pointed at the glitched-out video sensor and waited as a beam of energy flowed between him and the device. Zaxus pointed at the technician and nudged me forward, pressing an image of six sleeping hounds into my mind. I slipped into the alley and released a random burst of noisy white energy, hoping to stifle the man's work. As he concentrated harder on his task, I moved in behind him. He was grounded to the floor, carefully channeling energy through his legs. I swiped my astral leg through both of his, and as he staggered, I chopped an invisible hand across the back of his neck. The tech was out cold. Literally. His body temperature had dropped in an instant, and he seemed to be unconscious. His yellow aura had dimmed significantly, and beneath it, I could perceive the imprint of its design, burned into the man's right shoulder like a three-dimensional tattoo. The pattern meant nothing to me, but I absorbed the image into my mind as a trophy to carry home. Zax growled to get me moving again. He pointed upward, signaling the day's outing was over. I didn't have to be told twice. I shot back up to my Medicaid ward with a wallet full of psychic currency. I didn't know how to spend it, so I mimicked the technician, letting it flow in and out of my legs and the floor beneath me. I inched closer and closer to the vat and the machines that guarded it. Nothing. All systems remained normal. A sharp click to my right signaled the arrival of a visitor, and suddenly I was perched in my undead body staring at a milky white nothing. The buzz of a Pico speaker filled my ears. Good morning, Parrick. My mother's voice. I've brought you a special visitor. Since the incident, I'd only seen my father, mother, and older brother. My younger siblings sent their regards, but my mother thought it best not to shock them with the trappings of the Medicaid. Cloaked in a fog, I struggled to remember their names. Go ahead, dear. He won't respond, but he can hear you. The voice that came through next took a hard bite and didn't let go. Hi, Peric. It's Calabale. I'm sorry for not visiting sooner. I heard the guilt and anxiety layered within each word. If she hadn't spoken her name, I might not have recognized her voice, normally cool and so sure of itself. So in control. Callie. Overhive perfection. How could I forget her? Feth. I must have died a hundred times in the past few months, and during one of those episodes, I'd lost Callie. The damage had been done on my side, not hers. Callie had moved on after I'd opted for a year in suspended animation. I hadn't consulted her on my decision and hadn't even thought to say goodbye. I was preoccupied at the time, staring out of a stranger's dead eyes, much like now. Was she angry? I would be. Could I tell her I was sorry from in here? No. It would have to wait. Safe within my vat, I didn't dare try anything. I merely listened to her speak, hoping to find myself again before I emerged. Callie had gone to the prom with my best friend Ryun and his girlfriend Srina. They'd had a blast, and she'd spent the next three days nursing a hangover. Good times. I couldn't wait to experience the hangover from the concoction of chemicals, stim fields, and refrigeration that sustained me. Ryan Gund had taken his rabbit run, as had Cortland McNeil. I hadn't even known that Court was interested in a planetary defense force career. 
He hadn't been a part of the PDF cadet program last year. His family was the major importer-exporter for the entire fulcrum system and had more than enough wealth to buy their way into the Hydra Cluster's overhive tier. House McNeil held the lucrative position of Hydra Spaceport Overseer, and they were vying for the same within the Zenith Cluster on the far side of the planet. Sometimes duty simply wasn't enough. Court's sister Asher was cool, if not a bit aloof. She wore the most expensive clothes that money could buy, but left her hair undone and her face free of cosmetics. The girl didn't need it. She wore custom-made boots instead of shoes and never missed a workout or an after-school drill. I think she was simply bored, but I liked her far more than her pushy twin brother Court. Sure, he was going places, but so was I, given enough time. But why the sudden switch? And why was Callie Bale here with my mother, filling my mind with missed reality? Well, Parrick, happy birthday. I wish you could join us for the party. Maybe when you turn 18. My mother barely made it to the end before she broke down into tears. 17. The year of my escape. And just like that, I began to sweat the outcome. There was a world out there waiting for my return, and time was limited. Where had the weeks gone? Had I already spent four months in the vat? I felt awake and aware, but obviously hadn't been like this for some time. I'd been dying, and now at least for the moment, I wasn't. That knowledge was a powerful motivator. I left the vat soon after my mother and Callie departed. My first thought was to follow them and enjoy my birthday party as an invisible guest of honor, but I'd been bitten and clawed enough by the unreal. I slept alone in a vat for a reason, protecting others as much as myself. Zach's and Kisco were nowhere to be seen. I headed to the pit to cheer myself up. I'd fallen far, but other hive dwellers had ended up in a far more pathetic state than me. I spared myself the worst, perching above the pit at one of the hidden entrances off Sector 99B. The energy I'd stolen from the yellow tech acted like strong coffee, keeping me awake, or so I thought, as I waited for my next mark. Zaxes yanked me off the ledge, pulling me down into the lawless mess below. Kisco darted out and took a bite from my backside as I landed. What the feth was that for? The image of Zaxes stalking his prey poked me in the eye. He'd approached me three different times from three different angles and stolen a chunk of energy each time. I hadn't noticed a thing. He pointed to Kiskaman and then back at me. I got it. Prey sits. A hunter moves. Better known as the Underhive, Sector 100B was the tip of the Lower Hive's inverted pyramid. The sectors above it, from 99B up to 01B, were commonly referred to as Sub-Zero, as in everything accessible below Ground Zero. No two sectors were identical in size or layout, but each had a common life support system, ventilation, security, service access ports, and plumbing. As the sector numbers increased, the width of each sector shrunk. Making up for the loss in area, the deeper sectors had tighter avenues, higher ceilings, fewer access points, and taller habitation stacks. Zax dragged me through the side of the pit and straight into the confines of Sector 100B. It pointed at me and then ahead. It was my turn to hunt. We'd come in on the very edge of the multi-level sector, but we moved with unreal speed toward the more busy middle. Every so often, Zax would flash me a color, and within seconds, a person would appear around the corner wearing an aura to match it. We hunted only for those with tainted, color-coded auras, ignoring all the rest. Only a small fraction of the underhive population stood out, but there were enough reds, blues, yellows, and purples to keep us occupied. Yellows were dangerous for their ability to move or detect energy. 
They might notice as we snuck past them. Blues were quick, inhumanly fast. Others wore orange, the color of an open flame, and they dabbled in pyrotechnics. Purples were strong or thick-skinned, but never both. In every case, Zaxis held me back, even when I saw a familiar face. Slowly I was learning to perceive a mark's energy before it came into view and know what to expect from each beforehand. When can I hunt? I wanted to claw back some of the energy Zax and Kisco had taken from me. Zax flashed the colors blue and purple. I get to take two? Zax pointed down the avenue toward a door, and as it did, the creature faded out of sight. Still present, its energy signature matched our surroundings in a chameleon-like effect. I scanned Zax, hoping some part of my mind unlocked the secret of that skill. The colors blue and purple flashed again, prompting me to move. I walked to the door, willing myself through it and into a high-end tavern, with high ceilings and a broad scattering of darkly translucent tables. The club room could seat a hundred in privacy and comfort. A few familiar faces were present among the rainbow of corruption. The bartender wore a green-tinted aura, whatever that meant. His name was Lalo, and he was the boss I'd met earlier. A pair of hard-eyed bouncers with purple auras watched the door. I'd say hello to them on the way out. On the far side of the barroom, a blue glow surrounded another familiar face. It wouldn't be polite if I didn't say hello to my benefactor. He sat at a table with a healthy stack of empty glasses arrayed in front of him. He looked trim, less burly than the others in the room. I checked behind me. Xaxias hadn't followed me inside. Another blue aura joined the first. A familiar black leather coat, shoulder-length black hair, long legs and hips that carried a pair of hotshot Lay's pistols. Their charge packs hummed beneath the woman's jacket, brimming with energy. I studied their faces and realized that the two were siblings. That might have slowed me down, but it didn't stop me. Lacking a round of drinks to share, I approached their table like a wayward ghost. The woman was at least twenty and firmly within her prime. Her face featured a distracting pair of vibrant blue eyes. Her lips used a smile like a deadly weapon. Her brother, they'd called him List, was a year or two older and plenty fit too, like a runner. I could see that they didn't miss many workouts. They wouldn't miss mine. A bottle flew across the room, smashing into the wall over our heads. The barman screamed and pointed, Silver. Fethim. I'd found him first and the service here sucked. I punched my fist through both of Liss's shoulders, sending him toppling off of his chair. The woman jumped up, stunned, and I couldn't help it. I kissed her full on the mouth, nose, teeth, jaw, tongue, and tonsils. I stopped short of her spine. Unfortunately, she didn't feel a thing, and neither did I, but she dropped her Lay's pistols and fainted. I spun and raced for the door. I say raced, but blinked might be a better word for it. Blocking the door, the two bouncers looked around as confused as everyone else. I flew through the air, tackling them both, and sailed right out the door. As birthday parties went, I've had few that were better. With purple and blue energy flooding my being, suddenly, Kiskamen and Zaxis seemed smaller in my mind. They tormented me for months, batting me about with their pain-filled paws. I figured it was time for a little payback if I could find them. It didn't take me long to scout the underhive for Zax. I could feel the hunter's presence at times as it skulked its way up toward ground zero. Perhaps that was another lesson. Zax had known how I would emerge from the barroom before I'd ever gone in. The combination of purple and blue energy was pure aggression and not very fitting for a hunter. The warp hunter got in the first strike, and it was a good one. 
My mind spun in the instant before I set it aside, sending the shock of pain down into the distant pit for Kisco to collect. That made Zax hesitate, and I latched onto the bugger like it had latched onto me all these months, dragging me around. The purple energy I'd collected from the underhive bouncers made me tougher, more resilient to its strikes, while the blue gave me unmatched speed to pummel the feth out of it. Zax carried plenty of feth, and I sent it all into the pit. By the end of the fight, I realized the blue and purple were only tools, and that the real aggression was found inside me, bolstered by the frustration, rage, and lingering fear of being overmatched. It was all-consuming. As the brawl with Zaxxus ended and the entity fled back into the warp, another struggle began. I'd had it all mapped out. My position in life and the path I would take, avoiding dead ends and following my brother up the PDF chain of command. My reality had been set early on. I would carry on the noble house of Killhaven by defending the planet of Fulcrum IV from all that would dare plunder it. Somehow, forces at the opposite end of the hive had canceled all of that out in an instant, replacing my time-worn path with raw, soul-rending power. By the time I'd reached the pit, Kisco had collected its treasure and scurried into hiding, slamming the door to the Sea of Souls behind it. For months, I'd searched for a way to lock those doors on my side, but had never found the Emperor's face as promised. Whenever the warp creatures came back, I would be ready.